This guy sucks so much, I don't understand it. Get rid of his ass right now. It's the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Hey, welcome to episode 39, the Dominic Hasek edition of the podcast. He was an incredible goaltender for 16 seasons in the NHL, winning the Vezina Trophy as the top goalie six times, and he won two Stanley Cups. The Dominator literally lived up to the nickname. What an eccentric Butron of a goalie for sure. They don't make him like him anymore. Hasek with a miraculous save on Quats. Do you believe? Oh, brother, we are not worthy. I recently wrote something on Twitter that I knew would get people mad. I tweeted that coffee was the most overrated drink. Now, now I don't like coffee, and I've tried it a few times, and I think it's trash, to be honest with you. But I basically did it to see if people would get angry, and it definitely worked. It's so funny to me how I drink. It's just a drink. It can make people so, so defensive. The biggest reason I don't care for it was because as a kid, my sister Christine, I'm calling you out, told me if I chugged an entire big glass of coffee, she'd tell me my Christmas gift. She got me. Guess what? She didn't actually do it. Yeah, I did it. And needless to say, she was lying. She also lied suspiciously every time when she said she was on her last piece of gum when I asked her for one. Interesting, Christine. Interesting. I'm taking note. Since then, coffee hasn't been on my radar. I've tried it a few times, and honestly, meh, meh, it's overrated. Perhaps because it was from Tim Hortons, which I hear isn't that great. Regardless, hot chocolate is way, way, way better. You don't need coffee. Admit it, you don't. You don't need it. Come on. With that said, let's get to my next guest, and I'm eager to hear his thoughts on this topic, actually. So without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, now welcome on Josh Shabulski. He's a blast from the past friend of mine. I played softball with him growing up in Iron Prior, and we used to broadcast Iron Prior Packers hockey games together. He's got a book coming out entitled Second Story Work, which we'll get into in a bit. Welcome to the H-Dog Pod, Josh. Thanks a lot, buddy. Happy to be here. Uh, I'm, I'm stoked to have you on. Uh, well, first of all, uh, in my intro, I discussed this. It was so funny how uh, I intentionally did this on Twitter today. I threw out a, uh, a tweet uh, knowing, because it was like around 9, 10 in the morning, uh, knowing it would upset people. And I tweeted something about, about the, along, along the lines of, uh, what is your most overrated drink and what is your most underrated drink? By the way, underrated, I wrote uh, hot chocolate. Incredible. But uh, I wrote overrated drink coffee, knowing people would get the knives out and they would be pissed at me. And they sure were. People were eviscerating, good word, me. Uh, do you like coffee and, uh, or, or do you think or do you agree with me? Coffee sucks. Um, I'll put it to you this way. And you may not understand this because you think coffee's overrated. Big time. But my, my number one item on my Christmas list, as I look at it, is a bag of Kopi Luwak. And you probably don't know what Kopi Luwak is, but no what chance. Kopi Luwak is, it is the most expensive coffee in the world. I've only had it twice in my life. Um, it is, for your listeners, I suggest they go research it. It is phenomenal. Uh, I think it goes for like 50 bucks per 100 grams. Oh, wow. Um, and it, it's what's weird about it is that the the cherries that they actually use in the coffee beans themselves are actually 
eaten by an animal and cracked out. And then they oh. take the beans out of the... I'm not even joking. Like, I'm <laughs> dead serious about that. Does the animal use a, uh, use a bidet? I wonder. Probably not, I guess, eh? No, I don't think so. It's like some <laughs> weird-looking cat, I think. I want to say it's a cat. I could be wrong. It could be like a monkey or something. But some some animal in like Asia that eats these these and that's where they pick them out of to actually uh make the coffee but it sounds nuts but i've had it twice in my life and it is unbelievable it's the best coffee in the world so to answer your question yeah i'm kind of a big coffee fan i've tried a few times since and uh, i don't know i don't don't quite understand the the allure but uh, i had a couple tweets to uh, i'll read them here from people responses like i said i knew it would get people uh you know uh, pissed off which is kind of funny and it worked uh one person wrote overrated bitch don't you ever <laughs> just hilarious <laughs> uh and someone else wrote okay so you don't like it next like it just so it was triggering people so much and then this other guy wrote, you have the taste of a child we get it. <laughs> it, was, it was just hilarious to me like that was literally my intent was just to see people get upset and they, they it's, it's just what it's a drink it's like milk water whatever you want whatever you like beer whatever the hell you like to drink and people get so angry over it. it's hilarious to me I'm actually, you know what? I, I kind of agree with you in a way, kind of don't in a way too. It is coffee to a lot of people is a religion. It's mm-hmm. like they get up in the morning and, you know, where some people back in the day, they get up and they'd go to church. Coffee, they go up and they go to their coffee maker. They yeah. get Sorry, they get up and they go to their coffee maker. They have, you know, and it's like almost a ritual. You know, I get my coffee, I go sit and I, you know, read my paper or my iPad or whatever. It's part of a routine and that's almost religious for some people. So I could see where people get upset by that. I can I actually answer your question for like most overrated and most Absolutely. underrated? For sure. So I'm not gonna this is where I say you're kinda right. I'm not gonna go too far away from what you said. The most overrated drink to me. And this, oh God, it's going to get me killed. If you say Dr. Pepper, the I most, actually will get triggered right now. If you say Dr. Pepper, I'll be very no, mad. No, it's, <laughs> it's Tim Horton's coffee mm. is the most overrated. Their dark roast is better. They're moving in the right direction with that. But their regular original roast coffee, I can't drink it. Why? What's, uh, what's so bad about it? What, what, what's, why, why don't you like it? I just don't, I don't think it tastes like coffee, to be honest with you. I've rarely had one that actually tastes like a cup of coffee. Whereas I go... You know, if I make one at home or I go to, you know, other coffee shops, I find it's I get more of that like authentic coffee flavor. But for me, Tim Hortons has never done it. That being said, there are some drinks at Tim Hortons that I do love and I do love an ice cap. Now, that's not I'm not going to say that's the most underrated drink, but Mm -hmm. I do love an ice cap from Tim Hortons. That is definitely a guilty pleasure. Underrated drink. I have a really tough time with this, but I think for me, it's a Caesar. Mm, uh, I, I don't drink them too often. Now, I'll maybe have like one or two in the golf course. I feel too max. I feel like after that, it's just it's just too much. But uh, yeah, they're not too bad. Oh, my God. The keg Caesar? Ooh, man. I spent a, a year at a keg one night. Let me just say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the For me, the under, like I said, the underrated one was uh, hot chocolate. Uh, delicious. Uh, and another drink. Yeah, that's a good choice. And another drink that's again, I'd only want one, maybe two at most. But a, a drink, maybe it's because it kind of brings you back to your childhood a little bit, uh, a little nostalgia. But Orange Crush, Orange Crush is delightful. Hell yes, yeah. I haven't had an Orange Crush in a while, but it is really, really. Oh my god, yeah, it's good. 
oftentimes, uh, you know, you'd have maybe an Orange Crush or Tahiti Treat after playing some uh, baseball games I uh, referenced before. Uh, softball. Uh, what are your memories uh, from softball? We played, how long did we play? Like eight, 10 years, something like that? Oh, man. Yeah, I think we started, you and I started playing probably together in grade six. Uh, and I I think our last year of playing together was our first, after our first year of college. Might have actually been our second year of college. Um, but yeah, I mean, we went on a run for from like 96 to 05 where we played together. It's quite a long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I remember playing all those years, and I was pretty good defensively, but I was so bad at hitting. And then eventually, I remember, I think it was like a playoff game or toward the end of one of these years, I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm so bad at hitting left-handed, I'm going to switch to right-handed. And I remember people being like, oh my God, what's this idiot doing? Like He is so bad hitting left-handed. Why the hell is he going to right-handed? And I, I definitely remember being a, a palpable uh, thing. I was like, holy crap. And I was like, for 10 years, I played softball hitting the wrong side. That last year actually hit pretty well. You know what? I actually remember that because the first time you went up to the plate, I think you switched like after one pitch. Like you took the first pitch, it was a ball, and then you switched to the other side. And everybody in the dugout like stood up off the seat. They're like, Mike, what are you doing? <laughs> yep, yep. And then, and then like the next right. pitch, you yanked a single to left field and we're like, what just happened? <laughs> what just happened here? But from then on, yeah, I remember that. That's crazy. Yeah. God, you have a good memory. I don't. <laughs> well, the reason I have a good memory. I remember it now that you brought it up. Well, the reason I have a good memory is because I had a, uh, bad memories of how bad I was hitting left handed for all those years, right? And it was just like, it used to piss me off knowing that last year it was the last year I played. I was like, oh, I should have been hitting the wrong, the to the right side every single time. But it's just funny how it works. I didn't realize you're a Minnesota Twins fan. Uh, how'd that happen? <laughs> if you remember a movie way, way way back there was a movie that came out around the same time as angels in the outfield i don't think it got as much uh, attention but it was called the little big league mm, yes and it was about uh, this kid whose grandfather owns the minnesota twins his grandfather passed away and he leaves the team to the kid and the kid ends up you know through a series of events managing the, the minnesota twins um and that was like that was like one of my favorite movies as a kid that and the sandlot were probably my favorite movies um and back to the future but anyways um so that one i would watch that movie over and over and for whatever reason i just kind of fell in love with the twins also my father was a massive jack morris fan Mm. and if you remember back to pre-blue jays world series jack morris game seven atlanta braves throwing an absolute gem exactly Mm -hmm. and that was a game that my dad actually let me stay up to watch and it was incredible and that was it was kind of that really that started it and then the movie came out and that sort of cemented it for me and then there was a lot of years of suffering through you know them being terrible in bankruptcy but i've always remained faithful to the twins i do like the jays i enjoy the jays but the twins have always been my team that's funny uh you mentioned the sandlot there that movie i remember uh, uh, at a birthday party years ago with a bunch of friends brag uh they wanted to watch a sandlot <laughs> and i refused to do it because I remember being really, really, I mean, no one likes it, but well, I don't think anyone likes it. Uh, maybe they do. Uh, no one really likes, uh, you know, people getting sick. And I remember in that movie, they were all on like the, the Ferris wheel or some like a roller coaster or some ride or whatever on the sandlot. And they all get sick because I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's been so long, but I think they had like chewing tobacco or something. 
and they all get sick. So I'm like, I'm not watching this movie. Can't watch this movie. And everyone was really upset with me. I'm like, no, I'm so grossed out by this. Years later, years later, I watched that movie to see them all getting sick. I'm like, how the hell was I ever grossed out by this? Do you remember the, the, the scene? Like, they, it wasn't even close to looking like it was actually them getting really getting sick. It was really weird. Yeah, no, I do remember the scene. Actually, funny story. When we played baseball together, I remember sitting in the dugout. And I won't name names, but somebody on our team was chewing. And they offered it to me. And I was like, I was like what is that? And they're like, it's chewing tobacco. I'm like... Like in the Sandlot? And he's like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, no, gross. Like, no, thank you. But I, I didn't do it at that point because, like, I was 14, and that was the first thing that came to my mind was, oh, no, this makes all those kids sick in that movie. I can't chew tobacco. But <laughs> yeah. years later, I ended up chewing tobacco, and I chewed it for a while. But, oh, even thinking back on it now, it's so gross. I can't believe I actually chewed tobacco for a while. Yeah, I've never done it, but it, it, I guess it does kind of look cool. Uh, I'm not sure if this guy ever uh, did chew tobacco. Uh, Josh Donaldson used to be a, on the Blue Jays, MVP, now on the Minnesota Twins. Uh, a couple of days ago, uh, we're recording this on the Friday, Josh Donaldson got kicked out. What was that all about? And that, that was pretty hilarious, right? Oh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I love the swagger of Josh Donaldson. I loved him as a Blue Jay. Obviously, I love him as a twin now. He, uh, I don't know. He's just so cocky, and he's got so much swagger. To watch him, the, just the whole breakdown of what happened there, the, the earlier at bat where the pitch is outside, he kind of stares back and just bites his tongue, and you can tell he's biting his tongue. He gets up to that at bat, a 2-0 pitch outside, he holds off. You know, He calls the ump on it, like, was this on the swing or was this on the pitch? Shakes his head, gives him the yeah, 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 next pitch, boom, knocks it out of the park, comes around, home plate, just drags his foot across home plate. Mm-hmm. It's and then he gets the toss. Josh Donaldson just kicked dirt as he came across the plate and <laughs> he tossed him. They just tossed Donaldson for kicking dirt on home plate as he crossed home plate. It's so Josh Donaldson though. Like it's such a Josh Donaldson moment. And you're right, I've never seen anything like that happen before. But as I watched it, I'm like, only Josh Donaldson would do this. <laughs> and I don't know why I think that, but to me, like out of all the baseball players, maybe maybe Bryce Harper would do it because he's kind of got that, that air against to him too. But I loved it. I don't know how everybody else felt, but I thought it was, it was kind of a neat moment. I love uh, for, I find like oftentimes in baseball, there's so many stupid unwritten rules. Like earlier this year with Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, on a three Oh count, I think the Padres were up six or seven runs or something like that in the eighth inning. And he swung and hit a grand slam and uh, the opposing manager and even his manager were ripping him for swinging what do you think? Do you see the, the Fernando Tatis Jr. thing? Oh, yeah, I absolutely did. You know what? Actually, I was talking to a buddy about that because he, he was kind of up in arms about it, too. And he's like, you don't do that when you've got that kind of a lead. No. And I was like, bro, I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan. We were up 28-3 in the Super Bowl mm. in the third quarter, and we lost. <laughs> the No lead is safe. It doesn't matter if you're up 11 nothing in the eighth inning. Like, the Jays have put up a 10 10- you know, a 10 spot in the last two weeks in baseball mm-hmm. and there's not a lead that is safe Any, anything, you know, short of like being up 40, nothing in hockey, you know, teams can come back, you know, offensive firepower does exist in every sport. And you are talking about professionals who can put it together, you know, for in a short period of time to make that happen. So I don't have an issue with what Tatis did. And, and also you're trying to put up numbers as an individual because you want to, you know, put those numbers up for the betterment of your career. So I get it. I would probably do the same thing. 
So yeah, a couple days ago, the Jays were playing uh, a three-game set against the Yankees, and they got absolutely decapitated. Uh, they gave up 19 home runs in three games. The first time a, an MLB team has ever had 19 home runs in three ga- in a three-game series ever for the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees had five home runs in the fourth inning, only the seventh time that's ever happened in baseball. Uh, since uh, pitch tracking became a thing in 1988, the Yankees were the first team ever to hit back-to-back-to-back home runs on back-to-back-to-back pitches. So the Jays were absolutely crushed. Now, I think it was the first game, uh, Derek Fisher, outfielder, who they got in the Aaron Sanchez trade, absolutely abysmal out in right field. This guy is so bad. And in fact, he was so bad, I actually had the inspired idea. I'm like, I have to uh, record a voice memo about how fired up I am, about how brutal this guy is. So uh, let's take a listen. Why in the living hell do the Toronto Blue Jays continue to employ this bum Derek Fisher in right field is beyond me. They traded Aaron Sanchez for him for, uh, to Houston last year in, in hopes that maybe he would somehow be able to figure out something. I don't know. I don't know if you, know if you remember. Last year he had a couple balls that hit him squarely in the face in the outfield because he's so friggin' terrible. And tonight's game against New York, against the Yankees, an important game. Finally some important Blue Jays baseball, which hasn't happened in a few years. Two straight times in a row. Two straight times. Derek Fisher is, is brutal out in right field. The ball goes off his glove. The second time he doesn't even go come close to trying to even get to the ball. This guy sucks so bad. He only has one home run this year. I guess they're keeping him because he's a left-handed batter or something. Occasionally he can hit a home run. Ooh, cool. whoop do you do Does nothing else. Provides horrible defense. Isn't a good hitter. This guy sucks so much. I don't understand it. Get rid of his ass right now. Man. I was pretty, I was pretty upset. I wanted to record that five minutes earlier, but this uh, woman at work, a uh, really sweet girl, uh, was talking to me. Uh, you know, she's like, "Oh, uh, how's life?" Blah blah blah. And inside, I'm like seething. I'm so mad. I'm like, I need to record this voice memo of me being pissed off at Derek Fisher. But you're so nice. Oh my god. I hope I don't like lose my luster and lose my you know enthusiasm for crushing this guy. Thankfully, I did not. Uh, Derek Fisher, how freaking brutal is he in right field? Yeah, man, it's hard to believe that this guy averaged eight point three points uh, over his NBA career. Oh, that's sorry, that's oh. wrong, Derek Fisher. Oh, yeah. right, let me pull up. <laughs> let me pull up baseballreference.com. Not bad. No, well played. You know what? Played, Honestly, well played. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, thank you. That was that was the dad jokes in me coming out. Um, Love dad jokes. Actually, to, to be honest, Derek Fisher, former LA Laker, would probably be uh, better served to play right field than uh, sure. Derek Fisher, twenty-seven year old for the Jays. You know what? Um, when they traded for him, I remember my one buddy talking to me about it, and he's like, I really don't feel good about this trade. He's like, I understand like the appeal, like the possible upside, but he is 26 years old. He mm-hmm. kind of is what he's going to be. Um, I don't I don't totally get it. And you know, here we are a year later, and the sentiment really for me has not changed. Um, I look at it, and I'm just like why why like what what's the appeal here he's not good with the bat i think he's his batting average uh for his career is in like the 190s yeah, if i'm not mistaken but, like that. yep yeah and uh i think this year he's hitting in the 220s his war is atrocious oh. like i think he's almost uh minus one if i'm not mistaken yeah well that's um, uh, wins above replacement for uh yeah basically uh if, if yeah, a regular player a player would have uh been in the game he's worse than a regular player basically is, is, is that stat yeah, like, uh, I don't know. Maybe he hits right-handed and he's accidentally been hitting left-handed and 
maybe he you know? throws left-handed and he's actually been throwing maybe he's got the the Mike Harrison <laughs> you know effect going on and he needs to switch it up but that would be yeah, so no, I, I funny that'd be so funny if it's like he's like all right boys like I am brutal with a bat I, I'm awful in the outfield let me switch things up and they're same thing they're like they're like what the hell are you doing you complete imbecile <laughs> and then he ends up being like a, a gold glover and a you know, 400 hitter that'd be so funny that would rule. That would that would actually be awesome. But I, you know what? I I think unless he's going to change his legs also to get a different set of legs, because uh, it, it's almost you watch him out in right field and you're like, or sorry, left field, and you're like, eh, this guy's kind of got got two left feet. <laughs> he's uh he's not great. His footwork's bad. I mean, he's just he's not a defender. Um, and I don't I don't really get the appeal of running him out there repeatedly, but. I guess. They, uh, they've been they've been high on him. I guess he does technically. Does he technically have a World Series ring? Was he, uh, he was with the the Astros in 2017? I think. I think so. I think you're right. Yeah. I guess like their thought is oh. like he's a left-handed bat for the outfield. He can't. He does have a little bit of pop in that bat. Uh, you know. Uh, I, you know. I guess some metrics say like he's you know, he hits the ball really hard off his bat. Blah blah blah. You know the the baseball nerds. The stats they say like you know maybe he's a little bit better there. But uh, oh man, I don't know. This guy is just brutal. And I'm so thankful that I caught that moment because like I said, I wanted to rant and rave so hard. And this woman at work, nicest girl ever, was talking to me, and I was just like oh, in my in my head, I'm just like. This conversation needs to end, not because of you. You're a wonderful person, but I really, right now, need to freaking rant and rave about how brutal Derek Fisher is, and I was so upset that I couldn't do it. Oh, man, it was pissing me off. Just knowing, it almost made me, like I said, I was worried I was going to like lose my luster and lose my like my rage, but actually, it built the rage up. It built the rage up knowing that I wanted to say these things, and I wanted to rip them so freaking hard, but I couldn't. I couldn't. I had to be calm. I had to be friendly. I had to be nice. That would be amazing. I also know, uh, you know, uh, growing up, you're a legit Pittsburgh Penguins fan. Yeah, I've been a I've been a Pens fan since '88. Actually, we also had some lean years back then too. But I was too young to really understand how lean it was. But right. yeah, so God, what am I going on? Thirty-two years of cheering for the Pens. Five cups in thirty-two years. Can't really complain. No, what what uh, what drew to the penguins? Obviously, Super Mario and Yager were incredible. But uh, back then, we you know, unlike nowadays, you couldn't watch a lot of the games. Uh, you know, there wasn't uh, NHL Center Ice and all that stuff. What? Uh, how did you become a, a Penguins fan? Yeah, so it was actually it was kind of a fluke. My dad and my uncle Glenn were both Leafs fans. So we we're at that we we're at my my house, the house I grew up in, and uh, it was hockey night in Canada. It was Pens Leafs. Uh, I was about three years old. And I remember my uncle Glenn pointing to the TV and being like, you see that blue team? That's the team we're cheering for. And I, my dad and I always had the kind of relationship where whatever he said, I did the opposite. <laughs> so my dad was like, yeah, we like that team. <laughs> and I was like, I'm cheering for the white team. Oh, and that was, yeah, a, that was Pittsburgh. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I think it really it, it hit my dad right in the fields, oh, I think. Um, be so but he was... <laughs> So that night, Pittsburgh actually beat the Leafs, and I they let me stay up and watch like two periods of the game or whatever because I was like three. Um, <laughs> but that was kind of what started it for me. And then my dad, every time Pittsburgh was on TV, which wasn't all that often, but he would put the game on and I'd watch it. And then in 90, 
like in 91, they obviously started to make their run. And my dad would tape the games for me and play them for me the next day. So I was like six. I would watch the games. And then seven, he did the same thing. He would tape the games on a VCR, play it for me the next day. And, you know, for years, I watched those tapes over and over the, the uh, North Star series, the Blackhawk series. And that was kind of what started it for me. Obviously, they had a lot of success around that time. So that played into it, too. Um, and then, of course, 93, they broke my heart. 96, they broke my heart. A lot of other years, they broke my heart. But we got, you know, three cups in the last 11 years. I can't complain too much. That's absolutely true. And uh, recently, uh, maybe you know, three, four weeks ago, something like that, uh, the Leafs and the uh, Penguins made a trade. And I couldn't understand on Twitter why so many Penguins fans were getting so, so mad when Toronto traded Kasperi Kapanen back to Pittsburgh, who the Leafs originally got for, in the Phil Kessel deal. Uh, what do you what do you think about the the Kapanen deal to Pittsburgh again? Yeah, so <laughs> I, you're probably reading my Twitter feed because I was very upset by this trade. Really? So my big issue with the trade. <laughs> so first off, I will say for Leafs fans, you guys made out like bandits in this trade. At least in my opinion, you guys got a first round pick uh, in a very very good draft. You got Philip Hollander, who is a very good prospect. To me, I want you know. I haven't watched him play a ton, but like I've read a lot of reports on him. He looks like he's going to project as a top six forward, which obviously given the Leafs cap situation, that is something that they're desperately going to need, especially on a cheap contract. So for the Leafs, they get those two pieces. Evan Rodriguez is kind of meh. Yeah, uh, the guys are you know, he's, yeah, Evan Rodriguez is okay. Uh, he could play in, in the Leafs in the bottom six. His contract's a touch heavy. I think he made two plus million last year. Leafs are going to have to qualify him at that to retain his rights. They might just let him walk. Uh, not entirely sure, but he's an RFA. And then uh, David Warsawski, he's going to play in the on the Marlies. He's got a big AHL contract, so I think that's part of why Pittsburgh dumped him because they didn't want to pay a full freight for an AHL guy because they are going to have an internal cap. So that's from the Leafs' perspective. Good, good for them. For Pittsburgh, I think what really bothered Pittsburgh is that the wing is not really an area of concern. Pittsburgh's defense, especially their bo- their bottom two, is atrocious. Oh, uh, so basically, so that was basically like, like the Maple Leafs' uh, bottom two or four. But basically from three to six or from one to six for the Maple Leafs, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why Penguins fans, I think, were mad is because we blew our best asset on a piece that was really just a luxury we didn't really need. And I personally, having watched uh, Kappen in play, I don't project him as being in Pittsburgh's top six. So to me, they went out and they got a top nine winger for a first round pick and they gave up arguably their best prospect as well in the deal. And the other two, like uh, Auberg and I don't even remember, Lindholm, I think is the yeah, other piece. They're, they're all bums. They're all bums. Yeah. Yeah. They're bums. They're not projecting out to be anything that's going to help Pittsburgh. So really it was Kappen in for uh, a pick, you know, first round pick Hollander, who's, who's our, one of Pittsburgh's best prospects and, uh, and Evan Rodriguez, who could, who's still an NHL player at the end of the day. So to me, I think that's why Pittsburgh fans were pissed. They saw that first-round pick is either the the asset that could move Jack Johnson or Patrick Hornquist, who are both on you know bad contracts, uh, or they saw that as the asset that could get something better than a top-nine winger. That, so that's 
from a Penguins perspective, that's why Penn fans were mad. Uh, I was one of them. Well, it's interesting you say that because uh, from a Leaf perspective, I was like, I don't understand why Penguins fans are mad because I thought Kasperi Kapanen, uh, especially with Crosby and Malkin, they're about 30, what are they, 33 years old, something like that. They're not getting, obviously, well, no one is getting younger, but it's like they yeah. need to win now, the Penguins. So you get a guy who can, with them, probably score 20, 25 goals. He's a pretty darn good player. He doesn't have the greatest finish. You're going to see a bunch of breakaways, and, he's, you're, and you're going to see him miss every single time. But he's a pretty good player. Yeah. And so basically you're trading away a first-round pick, which in theory, in theory, is about three years away or something like that probably. And that's not going to matter for Pittsburgh because they need, they need to win right now. And Hollander, who you think is projects to be a top six forward, but when the Leafs uh, got Kasperi Kapanen for Kessel, they thought also the same thing. Oh, he's going to be a top six forward, and he wasn't really that same thing. So it's almost like you hope or maybe he could be a top six forward, but you can't. You don't know that for sure. So it's almost like I didn't understand. Kasperi Kapanen's contract's not too bad at all. Uh, and a guy who's got some speed, he has some skill, you're giving up a first-round pick, but again, that's not going to be a thing that's in for two, three years anyway. Pittsburgh needs to win right now. I never understood why Pittsburgh fans were so mad about it. Didn't make sense to me. Yeah, the the pick itself. I don't. I think actually trading the pick is the right move. I think you, if you're in the Penguins situation, you've already you already don't have a pick next year. So you want to make sure that at minimum next year you're going to make the playoffs, so that that pick isn't something that's you know a lottery pick. Um, but it's it's the asset coming back that's kind of underwhelming, uh, especially in a deep draft. I think for Penguins fans, that's what really bugged them is that, well, actually what I think really bugged them, at least what bugged me, is that it wasn't a defenseman coming back. Because mm. I look at Pittsburgh's decor, and the right side, I see Latang, I see Marino. Those are both legit top four options. On the left side, I see Dumoulin, who is, is very much a top two option, one of the more underrated players in the league. Uh, but I don't see uh, Marcus Pedersen as being a top four defenseman. So I would love to have seen Pittsburgh flip that first round pick. And if they're going to trade Hollander, okay, fine. But I would like to have seen them get a left-handed defenseman for that second pairing back. But, you know, it is what it is. They didn't. They got Kapanen. You are right. Kapanen is a very good penalty killer, and he's got a lot of speed. He just doesn't have the finish. Ooh. And that's kind of the issue that Pittsburgh has always had with top six guys is that they haven't had guys that can finish and Connor Sherry is a perfect example of that. He played with Crosby for a long time. Great passer, you know, very quick, can't stay on his feet, can't finish. And that's, that's an issue when you're getting passes from the best player in the world or one of them now. And yeah, yeah, he he can't finish. That's a tremendous pun uh, for Kasperi Kapanen, obviously being from Finland. I understand you were telling me (laughs) beforehand, uh, you have a story about, uh, when the Pittsburgh Penguins are trying to tank for Alex Ovechkin and uh, Jamie Noodles McLennan. McLennan, yeah. So that's interesting that you bring that up. Yeah, he. Uh, so McLennan played for the Rangers in 04. I might be getting my years mixed up, but I think 04 is the right year. Sounds um, right, yep. So that was the year. It was my first year of college. I was in broadcasting at uh, Fanshawe College in London. And I remember sitting in the newsroom and – the Penguins were trying to tank for Alex Ovechkin and they're playing the Rangers and the Rangers had an unbelievable roster. Like on paper, they had a roster that should have been at minimum making like the third round of the playoffs. I think they had Yager, Lindros, Messier, Brian Leach, um, like just a, a whole slew of hall of famers. Anyways. Uh, so Pittsburgh played them. It was, it was a home and a home and away. Pittsburgh played them game one, beat them, and Pittsburgh's trying to tank for Ovechkin. 
And I'm tr- I'm cheering for Pittsburgh to lose so that they can tag for Ovechkin. Sure. Anyways, the second game comes around, and the Rangers start Jamin McLennan. And I'm I'm sitting in the newsroom at Fanshawe College, and I'm pissed about this, <laughs> obviously. I'm like, McLennan? Like, this guy couldn't stop a beach ball and whatever. I'm, I'm just railing on Jamie McLennan. <laughs> and in my head, I'm like, oh, you know what? Maybe he'll stand on his head. Maybe the Rangers will beat Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh can keep kind of falling down the standings. But the opposite happens. And McLennan, I think he gave up. I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think he gave up like five goals on 18 shots or something like that. All I remember is that Pittsburgh like mopped the floor with the Rangers. And by the end of the game, I was so mad that Pittsburgh had won because all I cared about was Pittsburgh getting that first overall pick for Alex Ovechkin. I think Pittsburgh ended up winning that game like five to two or something like that. But anyways, it was like a blowout. And what the hell is the guy's name? There was a guy on Pittsburgh whose name was Lassie. I don't remember what his last name was, though. Lassie? Lassie, like the dog, Lassie. Oh, Lassie. Wow. Lassie. Lassie, Lassie. No clue. It was like, it was a Finnish name. I don't think he played in the show for very long. He played for Columbus, too. Lassie, it started with a P. I'm really blanking on the name, though. He had, like, a career game. He had, like, two goals and an assist in that game. And I remember he's, like, just bare. And Kelly Bookberger's getting in on the assists. And, like, Matt Bradley and, like, Tom Kostopoulos. All these guys who, you know, their NHL careers are hanging on by a thread. And they're just pounding on the Rangers. And it's killing the chance for Pittsburgh to get Ovechkin. And I was just fuming mad that night. And I always blamed poor Jamie McLennan. And really, he was like just hanging on his NHL career too. I was always like, I don't like Jamie McLennan because of that. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Anyways, It was the Rangers and his name, this guy's name's I've never heard of this guy, Lassie Perietta. And he played 146 NHL games, had 50 points. Yeah, he played for the, the like you said the Blue Jackets and the Penguins. I don't even remember this guy at all, but uh, yeah, it's it's funny how I've never understood why when your team is brutal, why fans are like, oh, we want to win like games toward the end of the year for like pride. Who cares when your team is absolutely terrible? Tank the hell out of the game. You don't want to be like the the Buffalo Bills for many years or the or Toronto Maple Leafs for many years, like ninth or tenth worst in the in the East for Toronto or the Bills, like you know. Uh, Eight, ninth in the AFC, like a team that's sort of like seven and nine, right in the middle. No, no. If you want to, obviously you want to win, duh. But if you don't, just be brutal. I don't understand. It doesn't always work. We see the, with the Edmonton Oilers, it doesn't always work. Even the Maple Leafs now. No. Nope. Uh, but at least give yourself a shot. I don't understand why teams or fans are like, oh, we want to win a little bit. No, no. Tank, tank the hell out of stuff. And, uh, and I understand why teams might not they might not want to do that because it might look bad, but I totally understand the allure and the uh, of doing that for sure. Absolutely, and you know what was funny about that? And this was karma, and I I'm a big believer in karma. The end of the year rolls around, draft lottery happens. Does Pittsburgh get Ovechkin? No, nope. <laughs> they get yeah, they not. get of getting Malkin. They get of getting Malkin. I remember I didn't know anything about Malkin at the end of the year. I remember my buddy messaging me on MSM Messenger. That's how far back this goes. Not ICQ. And he's like, oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's no, not ICQ. Damn. <laughs> that's going like to the night, late 90s. Mm-hmm. True. Um, yeah, my buddy messaged me and he's like basically saying to me, he's like, that's karma that you guys didn't get uh, Ovechkin. And I was like, I don't know how. 
but this is Jamie McLennan's fault. (laughs) (laughs) Like, stop blaming this, like, poor backup goalie for the New York Rangers who lost, you know, one game or whatever. But Mm -hmm. anyways, it worked out okay for Pittsburgh because obviously the – there was no season the next season, and that helped Pittsburgh get the extra ball in the draft lottery, and eventually they got Crosby and, you know, three cups within 15 years. I can't complain too much, but back at sitting in that newsroom at Fanshawe College, boy, I did not like Jamie McLennan that night. <laughs> yeah, no, I could totally understand that for sure. Uh, a couple of things before I get you out of here, uh, Josh. Uh what are your memories, like I said, off the top, uh, we broadcasted hockey games together for the Iron Prayer Packers, and you said you're still doing involved in that. Uh, what are your memories from that? It's been so damn long, but I remember having a huge good word. Yeah, no, it's, uh, that was actually the first time that I ever did any type of broadcasting was actually with you doing Iron Prayer Packers games on local television. Uh, I remember showing up that night expecting the first night that we did it expecting to run a camera um i was still we were still in high school i think it was 2002 if i'm not mistaken um i expected to show up that night run a camera and just get on with my life and you showed up that night and as the volunteer in arm prayer and i was like no way like that's amazing you know you're gonna do the play-by-play and you're like yeah i'm way more comfortable doing color commentary and you were like, you should do it. I was like, <laughs> me? You're like, yeah, you should do the play-by-play and I'll do the color and it'll be you know, great. We have good rapport and whatever. And I was like, I, I don't know how to do play-by-play. I don't know how to talk about hockey or whatever. You're like, yeah, yeah, but I do. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I'm a dick. <laughs> I was like, all right. And you're like, look at these stats that I have. You had like all this material prepared. You're like, look at these stats I have. Look at all this, blah, blah, blah. He's like, and you were like, just, just do the play by play. I'll carry us between the whistles and we'll be fine. So I was like, okay. So we jumped into the broadcast booth, both of us having never done this ever. And I remember us doing that first game. I remember that Matt box scored a go ahead goal with like 45 seconds left and the Packers won the game. And I just remember going ballistic in the booth, you and I, um, but that was that was probably the most fun I've ever had broadcasting a game, and I've had a lot of co-pilots since then. But just that night, something about it, just the innocence of it all, just you and I, you know, a couple of buddies who played baseball for like ten years together, getting to actually broadcast a game before we, you know, went to college and did all that other stuff. But that's probably my fondest memory of us broadcasting a game was that particular game in two thousand two. Wow, it's uh, it's yeah, it's been obviously eighteen years and so uh, so long. Uh, my memory, if I'm not mistaken, was, and I thought about this years later, I'm like, uh, like I said, you, I, t- I said, uh, you're the play by play. I'm the color commentator. So, you know, that goal happened and obviously the play by play guy is the one that goes crazy because they're the play by play guy. And I'm, I, you know, as a color guy, I eventually have my two cents about it from what, what I recollect. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but I also went crazy. Like you said, and I almost, like, I think I almost like took over and went insane. It's like, dude. Dude, he's the play-by-play guy. What are you doing? I I, I seem to recall I, I sort of took over and went nuts, but I could be completely wrong, but I seem to recall I, I sort of upstaged you. So for that, I apologize. No, I do remember that. Actually, what I really remember out of that, and you're definitely right, you did kind of take things over and whatever. it <laughs> You know, we were both green in the business. Ah, it is what it is. It was You were actually from our empire, so it was uh, you probably had more of an emotional stake in it than I did. I was from Renfrew you know, the bitter rival, but 
what I really remember is days later going through and actually watching that broadcast and realizing that the the switcher in the uh, the camera van actually missed it because our pride pulled their goalie to get the uh, extra attacker and they ran the camera on the goalie leaving the net as Matt Box scored the, the oh, go-ahead goal. no. Actually, you know what? <laughs> My bad. It was actually, now that I think back to it, it was actually a tying goal because they had ties back then. They didn't do overtime. So Armpire was actually trailing, and Matt Box scored the tying goal. And uh, Armpire ended up getting a tie out of it. But, yeah, it was with, like, 45 seconds left that they, they scored that tying goal. But we didn't actually get it on video, and you and I are going nuts. <laughs> and we're watching the goalie leave the net. I remember watching it later and being like, Damn, that looks stupid. <laughs> yeah, that would be funny. Every the goalie leaves the net. Oh God, amazing, incredible! It'd be what? Like the yeah. fan, fan, the fans would be like, yeah. uh, why is that so exciting? Oh man, oh, good times. So I can tell ago. you, folks, wow. <laughs> you'll never see anything like that again in <laughs> ever. Oh man, uh, good time. I, I wish actually I could watch cringe watch that because I'm sure I would absolutely hate what I was doing for that. Uh, man, so funny. Uh, that was good times. Um, uh, you have a book uh, coming out, uh, Second Story uh, Work, on September 28th. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, holy. Man, I have a book coming out. That's pretty insane when you actually hear somebody say it. Um, uh, yeah, I you. do. Well, thank you. It, uh, it only took 12 years to write. Just, uh, you know, hop, skip, and a jump to, uh, to get this thing out in the world. So, um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a fictional crime novel. It takes place mostly in Vancouver. Basically, it's about four college buddies they finish school, they move to Vancouver, they're chasing, you know, movie star dreams. Uh, in 2008, they get to Vancouver, and basically what happens is the entire economy tanks. So they're left broke, jobless, you know, looking for a way to survive. And what they end up doing is they start to rob their rich friends. So all the people that they've met in Vancouver, the locals who are kind of living the high life, they start to rob these people uh, as a way to survive. And eventually it starts to fund this kind of high class lifestyle that they like to live. And as they get a taste for that high life, it escalates into, you know, deeper and deeper into the criminal underworld. And that's essentially what the, what the book is. Uh, I'd like to say it's based a little bit on my own experience. I did move to Vancouver in 2008. I experienced the whole film industry fall apart. And you rob people, uh, uh, you rob people a bunch of times or. Yeah, like I took a guy's Mercedes, you know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I uh, I never robbed anybody, but what did happen when I was out there, I, obviously I met a lot of friends out there. One of the people that I met out there um, also experienced, you know, the economy falling apart. He lost his job. Uh, he was somebody who was self-sufficient. You know, he grew up very poor. Didn't have an alternative, and he ended up actually joining a gang. Um, and it was at that point where I severed ties with him, sadly. Uh, we were pretty close leading up to that. He joined a gang. We severed ties. I never actually heard from him ever again. I never spoke to him oh. ever again. Oh, and that was kind of what inspired me to write this book. I was, you know, it was, uh, as I was going along, I started writing the book while I was out there. I was like, this is an interesting story. I wrote it for a little while. I put it down for a few years. And then it was around 2014 where I was like, I wonder what ever happened to him. You know, I, went, I never heard from him. It's five years later. I wonder what his life became. And I started thinking about that and I started kind of working on rewriting the book and writing it over and over. And that's basically what, what became of it was second story work. Did you ever find out what happened to him? Nope. 
Nothing, eh? I don't know. I, I've actually, I reached out about, I want to say a couple of years ago. It was before my first daughter was born. So maybe three years ago, I reached out to some mutual friends just to see if they had ever heard from them. And uh, no one had. So, and I've, I've always kind of checked like uh, in Vancouver, you know, go, you know, you Google like the person's name and you just think like, I wonder if there's an obituary somewhere. Cause that, you know, that, that type of life, it does tend to lead to people, you know, ending up either being arrested or ending up dead at a very young age. It's, uh, it's not exactly a life that, uh, most people want to lead. Sure. Um, but I've never seen anything. So I don't know, like my, my hope and my prayer for him is that he kind of figured they figured out the error of his ways and got out of that life and, you know, went on to do good things. But I honestly don't know whatever came about. Well, yeah, obviously, hopefully he is okay. Uh, what was the, like you said, how long did it take to write the book? 12 years? Like, what was the process of that? I would imagine it would be just uh, just annoying and, and just super, just annoying as hell. <laughs> if you ask my wife, she might say that. But <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. She's She's been my biggest supporter, my biggest fan. Um, early on, I was, 2009, I started writing in January. I didn't have a job, so I didn't really have anything going on to do. Uh, I was just like, Hey, this seems like something that could kind of occupy my time. It's a good creative outlet for me. So I started writing it and then, you know, life happened. I put it down for a few years and I came back to it. Uh, it was actually out of, I don't want to say necessity that I came back to it, but what ended up happening was I ruptured a disc in my back and basically I was laid up for like eight months in 2014 and I didn't really have a lot to do. All I could really do was sit on my back and you know, I got sick of watching Netflix and all this stuff. And my wife was like, why don't you pick up your book and just try to write something? She's like, you never know what could happen. Like, maybe you could actually put a book out. Um, she's like, you're not good at anything else. Maybe you'll be good at this. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. But she's right, though. I'm not, I'm not good at anything else. Um, so I started writing it again in 2014. I wrote for, I wrote like draft after draft after draft for about three years uh, till about 2017. And then I really hit a wall. I, I felt like I was done in 2017. And I spent a year trying to find an editor, somebody who was right to actually, um, you know, read this thing, give me input, gr- you know, edit it grammatically, all that kind of stuff. So it took a year to find an editor. I got an editor. It took him probably about eight months to turn it back to me. And then I got it back. I rewrote it again. Then COVID hit. So that kind of delayed me further, but um, that's, that was sort of what my process was, was it was, I, I, God, I hope I don't go through another process like this. I hope my next book goes much quicker, but it was, uh, it was something that was very epic, but at the same time, it was just kind of me meandering along and being really slow at figuring this whole thing out. Yeah, no, it's, uh, obviously without question it has to be, you know, a ton of work and, uh, props to you for doing that. Uh, I, uh, you uh, mentioned that you have an interesting uh, marketing campaign for that. Yeah, I do. So uh, I haven't started it yet, but what my main marketing campaign is going to be is something called How Many Turns of the Page. Um, and basically what How Many Turns of the Page is, is obviously turning the page, book, haha, very clever dad joke. But, yeah. Um, but what the idea behind that is, is also turning the page on a calendar. And when I say turning the page on a calendar, what I'm referring to is how many times is it going to take me to turn the page on my calendar to make this happen? And when I say this, what I'm talking about is 
um, making my book a success. So what I have is I have a list of 12 people um, or well, it's more than 12 people, but 12, I guess, outlets that would help me make my books a success. So I'll go ahead and I'll tell you the number one name on my list is a director by the name of Steve DeJarnett. Now, for most people, when they hear Steve DeJarnett, they don't know what that means. But Steve DeJarnett directed one of my favorite movies of all time uh, from the 80s. It's a movie called Miracle Mile. It's a cult classic. Most people have never seen it. But he's somebody who left Hollywood uh, he's a film instructor now. He writes books. He's still, you know, he's still active. He's still around. But he is the probably one of the most influential people I've had in terms of my artistic career. And I want to try to make this book into a movie. And he is somebody I want to help me do that. Because um, like his movie Miracle Mile meant a lot to me when I was a kid. So he's number one on that list. But there are other influencers on that list. And the idea with how many turns of the page is how many times am I going to have to reach out to this person to get them to help me? So Steve DeJarnett is number one. I don't know Steve DeJarnett. I've never met him. I don't know if it'll take me a hundred years to get him to help me, but he's the number one name on my list. And why that's interesting for you, or at least that list is interesting for you is the number four name on my list is Jay and Dan. Number four. Not number one. Interesting. Number four. Hey, (laughs) Jay and Dan are famous, man. (laughs) There's some famous people. Yeah, uh, there's a couple people in front of them. But yeah, they're number four in my list. So it's interesting. I hope and I pray that I can get to number four. But the idea is I can't directly reach out to these people. That's kind of a a fun play in this whole thing. I'm trying to use the power of the internet. So I'm going to create a video every day. Um, Basically, 30-second video just talking about them and talking about what I'm trying to do. So for Steve DeJarnett, um, when I when I actually start doing this, um, obviously I'll focus on the movie Miracle Mile and talk about that a lot. But my hope is that I can reach him and have him, you know, reach out to me, and and we'll see where this whole thing goes. But uh, I've never heard of any anybody really trying to do this kind of thing. I don't know if it's going to be a complete failure that blows up in my face, or I don't, I don't know if it's going to be something that's kind of neat and innovative. But I guess time will tell. Oh, that's, that's, that's awesome. Uh, you got to shoot your shot for sure. Uh, that's absolutely commendable and best of luck. Yeah, thank you for being on the podcast. It was a lot of fun, uh, Josh, and continued success. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks a lot, sir. I'm just going to quickly plug things if that's cool. Absolutely. All right. So you can pick up the Mike Harrison Valley Lads jersey. At, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing if I if I had your jersey to pedal. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> I wonder. What uh, I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll find that. Um, no, I just. Uh, if anybody is actually interested in following me, you can follow me at author Josh Sabalski on Facebook. Uh, just look up James Sabalski. He's way more famous than me to figure out what the last name is. But author Josh Sabalski on Facebook. Also, if you are interested in purchasing the book, it'll be available uh, on Amazon in paperback on September the 28th. It is available right now in Kindle. Uh, there is a Kindle pre-sale. So that's second story work. Uh, so I think it's $8.99 right now. So feel free to pick up the Kindle. And uh, if any of you do, I really appreciate all the support. And I'm also on Instagram, author Josh Zabalski. Instagram, less of a cesspool than Twitter. So, uh, yeah, thanks a lot. And, Mike, thanks so much to you. I appreciate you having me on the show. I love the pod. And 
thank you for having the least famous person on your podcast <laughs> on. Well, you never, you never know after this uh, podcast, perhaps you'll be the, the most famous uh, podcast uh, guest of all time. Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for uh, so much, uh, Josh, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, buddy. Talk to you soon. That was tons of fun catching up with my old friend, Josh Zabolski. So funny to hear his take on coffee being overrated and our talks about playing softball back in the day, as well as broadcasting hockey games, was great. Make sure to check out his book, Second Story Work, on Amazon when it's released September 28th. And special thanks to the editor and audio extraordinaire of this podcast, Grant Nabesy Roberts. He does a phenomenal job of making me sound not quite as brutal as I am. I couldn't do this podcast without him. He's such an integral good word, part of this pod. Thank you so much for listening to episode 39 of the H-Dog Pod. Oh, jeez. An episode away from another milestone, eh? Will I care? Eh, tune in to find out. Bang! This has been the H-Dog Pod with host Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Bang! Mm, bang! Mm, bang!